of the earth. We are children of the Father, all united here by birth. We are one family. We are children of the forest, we are children of the sky. We are children of the oceans, mountains, deserts, you and I. We are one humanity. We are one humanity. We are one family. We are one humanity. We are one you and me. We are children of the mother. We are children of the earth. We are children of the father, all united here by birth. We are children of the forest, we are children of the sky, we are children of the oceans, mountains, deserts, you and I, we are one humanity, we are one humanity, we are one family, we are one humanity, we are one My name is Clint Fultz, and I'm glad you could join us this morning for a celebration of Earth Day. This day was originally conceived in 1970 as a day to honor the Earth, and it's no less important today than it was 51 years ago. The climate crisis has only worsened despite the efforts of climate activists and environmentalists. My first, first wake-up call to the climate crisis was watching An Inconvenient Truth with Al Gore. I was a bit of an armchair environmentalist at the time. I recycled, ate some vegetarian meals, and rode my bike instead of driving as much as possible, but didn't really understand the depth of the situation until watching that documentary. It opened my eyes to how bad the climate crisis really was. So I made sure we changed our light bulbs to compact fluorescence and signed petitions when I came across them. But ultimately, I remained asleep at the wheel because surely someone in power was going to fix the problem, right? My next major wake-up call was the simultaneous Hill and Woolsey fires. I had to help evacuate my elderly clients that I had as a caregiver, and numerous friends of mine were forced to flee their homes with their young children in tow. It felt uh, ap apocalyptic. Could the climate change I had read about or heard about in Inconvenient Truth be to blame for those horrific fires? As I was soon to find out, climate change was making wildfires happen more and creating more fuel for the fires to burn. I discovered that Ventura County's average temperature had already increased 4.7 degrees since 1895, making ours the fastest warming county in the continental United States. That ever average is projected to climb three to five degrees more in inland areas, including Thousand Oaks, over the next 20 years. I read everything about the climate crisis I could get my hands on. Was this all true? And if it was, what could be done? I soon discovered Greta Thunberg and listened to her speeches. She said, my name is Greta Thunberg. I'm a 16 years old. I come from Sweden and I want you to panic. 
I want you to act if your house as if your house was on fire. And for some people in Southern California, it was. This was literally true. Greta also told us to listen to the scientists. So I read article after article about the climate crisis from scientists and climate activists. In my reading, I discovered that animal agriculture was a main driver of deforestation, pandemics, ecosystem loss, and a major source of greenhouse gas emissions. I began eating a plant-based diet and became vegan in December of 2018, which has been one of the best decisions of my life. With every meal, I know that I am making a decision to honor the interdependent web of life. And even if my contribution is just a drop in the bucket, it's a decision that I can make three times a day that sends ripples into the larger consciousness system and literally saves lives. It's also one of the most effective ways to reduce our own personal carbon footprint. I read books with such titles as The End of Ice, On Fire, and The Uninhabitable Earth. I checked with scientists, was this data for real? It was, and anyone could go to NASA's climate website to confirm those findings. I made it only 45 pages into the uninhabitable earth before I had to put it down. I spent several near sleepless nights waking up in a panic. I had to do something more than just reducing my personal carbon footprint. So I looked online for anyone else in my area that was as concerned as I was. That's when I found something called a community forum at a place called Chalice in Newberry Park. They were screening a documentary about climate change called From Paris to Pittsburgh. From the looks of it, this place was kind of like a church, but not any church like I had ever seen. I arrived at the community forum and was welcomed at the door by nice people thanking me for attending. I picked up brochures from something called Citizens Climate Lobby and then sat down in a chair in front of the stage. And that's when I saw the words on either side of the lectern. All souls are worthy of respect and love and all life, all truth is one. Well, those were some words I could get behind. A little while later, I ended up attending a Citizens Climate Lobby meeting headed by Dick Ellsley and held in the conference room at Chalice. It's there that I met Gordon Clint. He was super enthusiastic and encouraged me to check out a Sunday service, which I did sometime later. It's a bit lost in the fog of memory, but at some point I remember eating Barbara's vegan wraps and cookies and was delighted to have plant-based options available. I also recall looking at Barbara and Gordon across the room and thinking, those are the kind of people I aspire to be. Sometime later, after several citizens climate lobby meetings, Gordon invited me to the newly formed Chalice Climate Action Team. When I arrived at the meeting, he sat me at the head of the table and told me I was leading the meeting. I worked through my fears and trepidation and managed to run the meeting, thanks in part to the amazing people seated at the conference table. A few meetings later, Gordon said, well, since you're here, already here at Chalice so often, you should probably join the fellowship. And well, that seemed like a good idea. So I took the starting point class and now here we are. So if you're not enjoying this speech, you can blame Gordon in a roundabout way. What I found is that when I'm working with other like-minded people, that overwhelming sense of dread I feel when staring the climate crisis in the face like I do daily, that feeling subsides and it's replaced with a sense of belonging and dare I say hope. There are solutions to the climate crisis. We can change the apocalyptic trajectory humanity is currently on, but it's gonna take everyone. Every single one of you needs to be a climate activist. Make changes in your own life. Be the change you want to see in the world. Become a revolutionist and know that real revolution is the evolution of the heart and mind. To quote Brian A. Dominic, quote, the role of the revolutionist is simple. Make your life into a miniature model of the alternative revolutionary society you envision. 
you are a microcosm of the world around you. And even the most basic among your actions affect the social context of which you are a part. Make those effects positive and radical in their nature, end quote. Choose to make small sacrifices now so your children and their grandchildren won't be forced to make much worse sacrifices in the future. Make the choice to be a good ancestor and make every single day Earth Day. Join with those around you and create an ever-expanding mandala of climate revolutionists. Come by the Chalice Climate Action Team meeting the fourth Sunday of every month at 12.30 p.m. Attend a Citizens Climate Lobby meeting the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. Visit the caneoclimate.org website and see how small actions can affect change at a local level. Be sure to talk about climate change with your friends and family because it's only together that we can save the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Clint, for your beautiful, wise words and your leadership and getting us all inspired. So grateful that you are a member of our community and that you're trying to transform the whole community. Amazing work. So farmer Gabe Brown was a typical Midwestern farmer in the 1990s. He was planting monocrops, tilling, using fertilizers and pesticides, and getting government subsidies for growing corn and soy. But then one year after another, his crops were destroyed by hailstorms and blizzards and then drought. Four years into such disasters, he thought that he would lose his 1700 acre farm in Bismarck, North Dakota but he didn't give up. Desperate times often lead to transformation and unexpected solutions. And somehow Farmer Brown heard about regenerative agriculture and decided to try this. So regenerative agriculture actually involved doing less rather than more. Less is more. You let the soil regenerate by planting cover crops to protect it. Cover crops in turn allow water to infiltrate the soil rather than letting it run off. Plus, they make the soil richer with diverse microbes. Over time, Brown stopped using pesticides and changed to a less harmful way of planting. Instead of tilling and exposing the moist soil and microbes, he planted seeds among the cover crops. And this changed. This simple change led to a biodiverse, rich soil with abundant, healthy crops. In fact, their crop yields are now around 25% higher than average yields in that area and what they were before. So Brown and his wife now run a flourishing 5,000 acre ranch and have become well-known champions of soil health and regenerative farming. In soil we trust is Farmer Brown's mantra. In fact, he wears a hat saying that. Brown transformed degeneration into regeneration. That's what the amazing documentary Kiss the Ground is all about. And that's what we need to do urgently now to save our planet. Move from degeneration to regeneration. 
Kiss the Ground tells the story of how we've been depleting our earth for hundreds of years through industrial farming methods such as tilling. When humans developed the plow to break the soil to sow seeds, although convenient, this method actually degenerated the soil. Add pesticides to that and it's left almost two thirds of our world desertified or like a desert. According to the UN, the world's remaining topsoil will be gone within 60 years, 60 years. That means if we continue as we are, we only have 60 harvests left. Take that in. And of course, the worst impacts of the climate crisis are felt by marginalized, poorer populations around the world. Without topsoil, the earth becomes a useless dust bowl, not able to feed its people. And as land becomes uninhabitable, it leads to mass migration. Now you might be familiar with tales of the Dust Bowl from John Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath and Woody Guthrie's Dust Bowl Ballads. That degenerated dirt can't absorb water, nor can it draw down carbon from the atmosphere to create healthy, nutritious environments, which good soil does, and you saw in Passion's video earlier. Instead, that soil blows across the land, creating blinding dust storms. However, soil experts and scientists tell us that healthy soil can reverse climate change. It has the capacity to bring down and use carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. As you know, too much carbon in the upper atmosphere is a problem. Carbon in the soil is a solution. We could literally save our planet by regenerating our soil, by composting and planting more trees and plants. So if farmers stop tilling and using chemicals, integrate animals into the farm, use compost for fertilizer and rotate diverse crops to avoid pests, they can heal our land. Regenerative farming nourishes microbes in the soil, which is also critical for human health. And I know many of you gardeners and farmers among, this, among us know this. I'm so grateful that you do this kind of work. President Roosevelt also recognized the importance of good soil and he created the Soil Conservation Service to save the nation's soil. But industrial farming methods and government subsidies for corn, soy, and wheat have disincentivized farmers to farm regeneratively. Paul Hawken, author of the New York Times bestseller, Drawdown, warns us that unless we have a yearly carbon reduction of the carbon in the upper atmosphere, we will have climate chaos. And those of us who've experienced fires, floods, mudslides, or hurricanes, have faced climate chaos already. We know what it's about. And scientists are telling us that we've now moved from climate change to being in a climate crisis. We have to take urgent measures to reverse this trend of degeneration. So regenerating our soil around the world is one of the key ways to reverse these effects. As we've been learning, soil is extremely effective at bringing carbon back down into the land and using it to enrich our planet. 
I'm afraid electric cars and solar panels just aren't enough anymore, Hawkins says. We need to harness the regenerative power of the earth itself. And this is also what Sir David Attenborough urges us to do in his amazing book and film, A Life on Our Planet. And you can also watch that film on Netflix. Both of these films are extraordinary. They're informative and compelling and mind expanding. And I encourage you to watch them. My friends, regenerating our forests, our deserts, our cities and farms can heal our planet and reverse climate change before it's too late. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that's other people's work. I don't own a farm and I can't plant trees. But actually, like Clint shared with us, there's a lot we can do as individuals and as a community, no matter what our land situation, to help regenerate our earth. So here are some of the most effective things that we can do. First, reduce food waste by composting. Americans throw away 30 to 40% of our food supply each year. Can you believe it? When our food scraps go to the garbage dump, they decompose and release methane, which is a big contributor to global warming. But if on the other hand, we compost our scraps, they become fertilizers for our soil. San Francisco is already doing this on a citywide level as are many other cities around the world. And we need to advocate for this in our communities. And meanwhile, try composting our own food scraps ourselves. Next, I invite us to eat a plant-rich regenerative diet, consuming self-grown or local and organic vegetables when possible. Purchase your food from local growers and ask how they treat their soil. Encourage them to regenerate it. And if we consume meat, eat it from pasture-raised, grass-fed animals if possible, and try not to eat it as often. What we're eating is key because we're either regenerating the earth or we're degenerating it through our choices. Also plant your own vegetables and food or start a community garden. Here's a picture of my little garden tower in which I plant 50 vegetables in a very small area. And you can use this on a balcony or in a very small space. It's called the garden tower. And it's amazing and has a composting tube right in the middle of it to help enrich the soil. And look at what our member Randall Edwards has done in her flower bed. We took out the old dirt, she says. We got special soil with organic amendments and worm casings, added biochar, minerals, and compost, and covered the soil with, much, with mulch after planting. And there are many experts like Darcy Lober and Mary Freed and the Benonis in our congregation who can advise you on how to do this. Next, I invite you to plant a tree or trees to regenerate Mother Earth. And there are many charities around the world that are planting trees in areas that have been deforested. In fact, our national parks have a nonprofit that you can contribute to to reforest them. It's National Park Week this week, so it's a perfect time to help them. And we're going to put a link for the Forest Service into our chat now where you can go to help them plant more trees in our forests. And of course, switch from using plastic to reusable or biodegradable containers whenever possible. 
ditch plastic bags and bring your own shopping bags and grocery produce bags. Plastic is suffocating our oceans and is found in the most remote areas of our planet and throughout our bodies even. Apparently we eat, swallow or breathe around 2000 microparticles of plastic each week. It's a crisis, my friends. So we're gonna put these few simple lifestyle adjustments into the chat so that you can copy them and easily remember them and share these ideas by sharing the sermon with your friends too. And of course, there are many more ways that we can positively contribute to our environment and help draw down carbon from the atmosphere. And of course, this book that I shared with you earlier, Drawdown, gives hundreds of options. I encourage you to order it. I know lots of you already engage in many of these practices, and that's so great. You are my heroes. But the important thing is to start somewhere and then keep expanding. Eco-warrior and Buddhist scholar Joanna Macy reminds us, our leaders get confused. So we're all leaders now. Let me share a brief story with you. I heard it from Reverend Laurel Littlejohn Gray. As we know, bees do things together. They work in hives, doing their part to build their honeycomb home together. They pollinate flowers and trees and they make our lives sweeter with their honey, don't they? But I want you to ponder this. How much honey do you think a single worker bee makes in its lifetime? Let's pause for a moment so that you can write your guesses in the chat and those beekeepers among us just hold off. Let's guess how much honey do you think a single worker bee makes in its lifetime? And if you put that in, if you put your guesses in the chat, I'll read them out. Renee writes one pound, Pamela one teaspoon, Brian Pletcher one ounce, and we have a pint and a teaspoon and a gallon. So lots of different guesses, a quart. Okay, so are you ready for this? An average worker bee apparently makes one twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime. One twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its lifetime. So that means it takes 12 bees, their 12 lifetimes to make a teaspoon of honey together. Isn't that amazing? How much honey do you think a bee colony can make in one year? I invite you to again to write the answers in the chat. Now that we know what one bee can do in its lifetime, how much honey do you think a community of bees or a congregation of bees, if you will, can make in a single year? And go ahead and put your guesses in the chat. Anna, he writes one pint. Matt writes a quart. Brian, an ounce. Renee, two gallons. Danielle and Weston write eight ounces. So we have a wide variety in our guesses here. Are you ready? One bee colony, community, or congregation can produce between 60 and 100 pounds of honey per year. Can you visualize how big that is? That's about 1,200 of these honey bears. 1,200. Isn't that amazing? The world feels really big sometimes and it can be hard to believe that our little tiny part makes a difference. That's why justice work is a leap of faith in a lot of ways. 
because we know that the task is so, so much bigger than we can do alone. But you know what's also true? We do this work together. Just like Clint said, like the bees, we gather together all we have to offer. We commit ourselves to the same task, the same hopes for a sweeter world. And by some miracle of connection and cooperation, we're capable of more than we ever believed was possible. In those moments when you feel discouraged or too small to make a difference, I want you to remember the honeybees. Like them, we do this together. One of the contributors to the Kiss the Ground movie, Maria Rodale, sums it up beautifully. It's not about religion or politics. It's about love. And if you love someone, you want to keep them safe. If we take care of them, they'll take care of us. Likewise, if we take care of our earth, it will take care of us. My friends, if we love our planet, this beautiful blue boat home on which we live, then we'll want to take care of her. If we each do our one twelfth of a teaspoon of work, we can do this together and we can make a much bigger difference. You can start by coming to our community forum next Friday with one of the stars of the movie, Kiss the Ground, to learn more. Also join our Chalice Climate Action Team. They meet on Zoom a week from today and once a month on the last Sunday of every month. And then ask Clint about the Climate, Conejo Climate Coalition. And watch the movies I mentioned, Kiss the Ground and A Life on Our Planet to get more ideas. The poet Wendell Berry said it like this. There are no unsacred places. There are only sacred places and desecrated places. May we remember that our earth is sacred ground and love her with all our heart and actions. And may we together work with our earth to transform degeneration into regeneration. May it be so. Amen.